0: Hey, everyone, Matt here. I just want to let you know that I'm going to be doing my first out of town on the road inside a comedy club gigs since the whole thing happened, the whole nonsense. (laughs) It'll be my first my first road gigs since COVID and it's going to be in Colorado. So if you or anyone you know is anywhere near Fort Collins or Boulder, I'm going to be at the brand new Comedy Fort comedy club in Fort Collins on the 25th and 26th of june that's the friday and the saturday and then i will be in boulder the boulder comedy club on the 27th we'll put links to those on the show notes or in the show notes even but please i'd love to pack those out uh, i'd love to actually be performing to a decent room full of many nice people for my first proper gigs after covid and so if you or anyone you know lives anywhere near there spread the word please let people know that is the fort collins comedy fort and the Boulder Comedy Club on the 25th, 26th and 27th of this month.
1: Probably science.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I am Andy Wood. Hey Andy. Hello, hello. Let's let's just just jump straight into our guest cuz I'm very excited about this. Uh, an original cast member of Mystery Science Theater 3000 and also wrote on freaks and geeks and a bunch of other just all-time great comedy things it's j elvis weinstein how are you i'm good how are you i'm very good And thanks. by the way
2: it really does trail off on all-time great comedy things after those two you mentioned when
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got those two yeah, on the resume though what yeah what, what else do you
0: need really uh, uh we're, we're very happy to have you we i met you at some we did a we did a gig together in santa barbara that's right a, very, a weird uh, restaurant back room gig it's uh, run by the lovely Kimmy D. Yes. And it's a, it's a Brazilian restaurant slash capoeira studio. Right. Uh, <laughs> slash comedy Santa club. club. Slash comedy club in Santa Barbara. So you sort of, the comedy room is clearly, they've covered up some of the mirrors, but it's very definitely a martial arts studio that we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. doing a show in the back of.
2: <laughs> It's a much so, lower form of combat going on. <laughs>
1: I don't know if it's legend that capoeira was this, uh, it was a martial art, but the, the, way, the reason it looks like a dance is because it was like a thing that prisoners did, but they had to pretend that they were dancing and not martial arting, so their captors would let them do it. Yeah,
2: you'd think that eventually- I could Google You'd this. think eventually the captors would break up the dancing then. <laughs> <laughs> Even that, Every time they like dance, someone dies. What is this? <laughs> Maybe no more dancing. Yeah. I don't know why my I chose was- that as my Brazilian accent, but- <laughs> This must stop this
0: dancing Why are they always dancing so close to the guards' heads? That's right (laughs) Why does that dance always involve kicking through planks of wood? (laughs) Another
2: dance mishap, Chief Sorry
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't don't know I like like the idea Like it feels like a sort of Great Escape kind of deal Right, exactly we're We're just practicing... We're just doing choir practice and gardening and pay no attention to the increasing level of earth around the flower beds that thing with the
2: irish river dance that origin story seems a little more plausible with the you can only you can't see the bottom halves of their bodies kind of thing as you walk by the bar you know is that (laughs) what's what's this? no no, it's just like you know (laughs) dancing wasn't allowed so that just like the tops half of their body completely (laughs) still
0: Completely just like, ah. <laughs> They just like sort of like look like they're just having a little bit of a just right. Why does it sound like? Why shoulders? does it
2: sound
1: like a room full of people banging wood? We don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's like a mullet along a different axis. It's uh, axis. It's like business up top, party That's on the right. back. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I've never even heard that legend. I'm not going to Google either of these. I'm don't just going to go through life think. believing it's a science believing show. Why have facts?
0: And exactly. <laughs> exactly, we don't need. Not in these days. Not in these days. So. Oh, oh, to that point, Josh, we like to ask our guests before we get deep into the science stories, what, if anything, is your background in science? And that's range from classes people took or liked or hated when they were at school or college to things they blew up in the woods with their friends to uh, whatever.
2: I once was on a show called Mystery Science Theater 3000. That's, oh! Uh, I was, uh, I mocked movies with a robot puppet puppet. That- that's, that's true. Right, part two, yes. Um, and I had a series of high school science teachers that really disliked me and my attitude.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's such a common thread that's come up amongst comedians who've had to guest on this show. Yeah. There's been it's... one teacher or a couple of teachers who just really didn't take to them. Yeah, no, I th- and those were all
2: science. A couple of math teachers had problems with me too, but it, but I would at least admit I was funny. <laughs> Whereas the science teachers would not give me an empirical thumbs up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then you, you started working on MST3K when you were still in high school, is that right? I just For gotten.
2: Least... I was seventeen, and I just I I, gra- I skipped a grade, so I graduated when I was seventeen. Oh, so it was my first Well, that's... My first year of college at the University of Minnesota. I was doing Mystery Science Theater at 17. And then I dropped out when we sold it to Comedy Channel.
1: Yeah, I, I obviously didn't know about it until it was on Comedy Channel, Comedy Central. Um, but how how did it start back in Minneapolis? Uh, it
2: started on a UHF station. Uh, and we literally just improv'd the show once a week. Uh, it was Joel Hodgson who recruited Trace Bull, you and I, to be the robot guys and eventually the mad scientists who shot him into space um Mm -hmm. and we kind of you know it was the basic premise of this guy watching movies in space and we kind of just took it from there it wasn't you know we started making comments and jokes and uh as we started making them you started to feel the absence of them (laughs) you know once you did (laughs) once you've made them so we we started filling it up more and more with jokes But the original concept was sort of to take one of those local hosted movies and actually be a good host and go watch the movie with the with the people. You know, that was sort of so there was there was there there was always going to be comments. uh, But, you know, we learned as we went how much we
1: could actually pack in there. (laughs) But but originally you're saying you wanted to, like, pick it wasn't that you were going to pick good movies and show them off. No, it was them, always going to be like
2: the B movie, you know, local hosted movie, you know, or bad sci fi weekend kind of movies. Um, but you know, and this is this was Joel's idea to to ha- you know just sort of base it on like Silent Running, which was this Bruce Derm, uh sci fi film. Um, he gave it that kind of feel, and then, like I said, he sort of recruited us, and we kind of made it up we did about 20 episodes locally and people kind of responded to it right away but we were we were developing it each week as we went and we and we had no time we, we would pick a movie on thursday afternoon watch about 10 minutes of it and go yeah that'll work and then <laughs> and then friday morning we'd come in at about eight and we'd spend about an hour writing the host segments and then we'd go into the studio and shoot the host segments and then we'd go to lunch, and then we'd come back and we'd run the movie and we'd we'd you know we'd mock the movie in real time with our puppets and Joel live, and then they would literally edit the show as we shot it. They would put <laughs> they, wow. they would put in that movie segment then t- then edit on the host segment from that morning, and then we'd film the next one and they'd edit on the next host segment, and it was so it was online as we shot, and we and we had to be out of the studio by five p.m. because a the, the show came in after.
0: <laughs> that's incredible when you say a wrestling show came in were they actually walking into the studio as you were walking out like were you yes. basically having to cross yes. paths with like yes. these mullet- yes. huge <laughs> absolutely yeah and it wasn't they, and local, they local wrestling to... as well this isn't WWE franchise this is no, like but
2: many, Minneapolis Twin Cities was a hub of the uh, of the televised the early televised wrestling days with All-Star right.
0: Wrestling oh. so, there, uh, we, so we just was had... a
2: scene there I guess
0: we had a pro wrestler on the show a couple of episodes ago I wonder if i wonder if you might have crossed paths back in the day maybe him coming in in his it was in his spandex you know, it was and like you the leaving. host
2: segments they did for the wrestling show and then they cut away to the actual wrestling so it wasn't like they brought in a ring <laughs> right
1: okay but still i just love that it's like prince mst3k and wrestling yeah. Minneapolis. yes and bob dylan i guess sure. but he's like from the suburbs or no, something. no he's from right? way
2: up north on the iron range
1: oh farther yeah. away okay so I'm curious, who was responsible for the movie choices? Who was the one like digging through the, the video store, deep? Well, when cuts? we started, it was it was by
2: committee, and what you know, like these local show these local stations would buy packages of movies from the distributors, and they'd buy them for the five best movies on the list, but they'd come along with another thirty movies. They, oh, so we'd look at the bottom five of that list and you know things that were in the station's library but they weren't necessarily going to air otherwise. Yeah. And then see which one would work for us basically. And like I said in those early days we didn't we didn't have any criteria really. We just you know, hopefully there's some air between the dialogue and you know <laughs> stuff to make f-
1: And then when when you got those ones that were like the, the shorts like you know, 50s black and white things about how to uh do dishes i can't think of specific yeah, but ones like those like instruction yeah part of that was
2: those... was to augment because it was you know once we went to comedy central the hbo who owned comedy central uh would you know they'd send us movies to choose from that they could clear get rights to um but but those movies all are of varying lengths and some of them are really short so and and um, so in order to deal with a 70-minute movie or something that we've had to edit quite a bit to make it TV safe, um, we had these shorts that would augment the the two-hour time slot. And then they became kind of one of the better
1: things about the show. Yeah, those are great. I mean, I loved all of it. I was very obsessed as a 13-year-old uh, yeah. with the show, which I'm sure is a common thread among comedians my age.
2: Well, I was obsessed as a 17-year-old with the show. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, So our listeners have sent in a bunch of stories and I don't know why this one was this one was tweeted at us by Justin of Earlwood, who who said, I'm going to assume my email wouldn't get past the spam filter. I don't don't know why Justin thought this would be a story we might want to cover on this serious science show, but I put it in the in the comments there as well. Josh, so you can see it. Uh, Australian researchers discover why only two of echidna's four penis heads become erect at one time. I, there's a lot of things in there that I did not know yep. in advance. Right? There's a, you know, this thing that we all knew. How the four but, four penile heads on the echidna? And, yeah. uh, but we always also knew that only two of them at any one time became erect, and that's this big mystery that we've all been trying to solve.
2: It's like a game of whack-a-mole, yes. <laughs> except
0: yeah, <laughs> exactly in <an> the echidna. <laughs> <laughs> in the most horrifying arcade. Uh, so the penis of the echidna has four heads. There is a picture of this, by the way, and it is more horrifying That's than a, I could have imagined. australia It's
2: sort of I mean, Australian
0: roulette. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you look at it more as a paw, it's less disgusting. Yeah, it almost seems uh, like I a paw. I could have scrolled but... right by that
2: thinking it was a paw. Thanks so much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so now, now these Australian researchers have uncovered why. Scientists discovered that the mammal has unusual reproductive anatomy that causes male echidna to ejaculate from only two of the four penile heads at one time. The research, published in the peer-reviewed journal *Sexual Development*, which we, of course, have a subscription to, yes, a thoroughly good read every week, found month, who knows, found that <laughs> echidna penises have similar features to those of other mammals, including platypuses, but also similarities to reptiles. They studied the internal anatomy of several echidnas that had been brought into the Corumbin Wildlife Sanctuary in Queensland with severe injuries and had to be euthanized. This story gets worse and worse. Mm. Male, male echidnas have no scrotum and store their penis internally when not using it. So, oh my god. So, so if it wasn't already horrifying enough, this whole thing it's a, it's emerges. An, it's an innie. <laughs> it is, mm-hmm. but then uh, when the time is right, this whole uh. this whole horrendous four pronged thing thrusts out. Each of the four tips has a branch of their urethra, but only semen passes through. The re- interesting, yeah. The researchers found that in echidnas, the major blood vessels of the penis splits into two main branches, which each supply two of the penile heads. Sure. Jane Fenelon of the University of Melbourne, who's the study's lead author, said previously it was suspected that the male echidnas alternated between two of their four penile heads via a valve mechanism on the urethra, but they didn't find any evidence of this. Instead, they found that the spongy tissue of the penis, which becomes erect when filled with blood, was separated by a septum. Is the septum like the thing in the middle of your nose? That's a septum, right? Yeah, Yeah. yes. Uh, Meaning the echidna penis has two distinct halves. By direct, I wonder if like a, a... echidnas do too much coke through their penises that septum can become right uh that's what happened to the stevie nicks of echidnas? (laughs) she had to have her by uh, by directing blood flow down one of the main artery branches the echidna is able to control which half and which two heads become erect so i presume it's like left and right as well i'm sure it's not like one and three and two and four uh maybe it is i don't know i
2: think it's a choice between one there's a one and two and yep. three and four have equal have, uh, have our septum divided.
0: It has to be right. so you could only in have one and four. Right.
2: No, you could you could have one and three or one and four, but you couldn't have one and two or three and four.
1: I thought it could only have one or, one and two or three and four. My m- misreading. Uh, I, I maybe I, maybe I just lost. <laughs> I I could have lost interest. <laughs> I they really could have do- just drawn us a diagram of the possible penile they configurations really that
0: uh, yeah. So, it's the first time we've seen this in mammals, these two separate penises that happen to be merged together, says Fenelon. We know that in other species with really elaborate penises, it normally happens because of male male comp- competition for females. In that case, a multi headed penis might decrease the time needed between mating sessions, but the evolutionary be- reason for the behavior in echidnas has not been confirmed definitively. Fenelon says the research was motivated by the behavior of an echidna at the wildlife sanctuary who had been observed alternating the use of his penile heads up to ten times in a row. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't know if that was through boredom or... What, what is the definition of in a row also? Like, like playing pat cake
1: Yeah, I don't... yeah. Uh,
0: so Fenelon noticed similarities between echidnas and platypuses, which have a two-headed penis covered with spines. Hmm. Internally, we think it's pretty similar to an echidna, but nobody's ever seen an erect. Nobody has ever seen an erect platypus penis, so we're that's, not sure. Yeah, if They surprising. only use one of their two heads at a time.
2: How do you Look, yeah, think about how you'd get it that way
0: once you caught it? I don't know, but it's, spi- it's especially since it's spiky. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But also, it generally when we're doing these stories on the show, I always feel like okay, there's some great scientists have done some stuff, and they've you know have been really ingenious here, and they've they've branched out and they've done you know we're just reporting on it but here I think I think we as a podcast could really break some scientific ground here (laughs) if if no one has seen an erect platypus penis
2: are you you suggesting a reward
1: I I don't know well I I think this could be so uh, Josh we we went to Australia on a mini tour did the podcast live at five different cities two years ago and it was partially funded by the Australian government because we're doing science outreach I think if we could come to Australia document the first platypus erection if we, we could get our whole trip paid if for if we it.
0: could work out how to successfully around a platypus in a
2: female platypus costume
0: <laughs> yeah. somewhere in the outback doing one of my sexiest dances <laughs> like a
1: just the bug's bunny and uh, drag of platypus on, <laughs> on the grants on the grants on the Aussie dime so so and by the way,
2: let me rescind my uh, one three one four th- theory. I having having reread, you're right. It is one two or three four. Yeah, Seems
0: like yeah. one two and three and four. Ha- I think it has to, to be. I think it's got to, be. It's to gotta so. be left and right. Yeah. yeah. Or front and back. But still, it- the fact
2: that there's no picture of a vagina that corresponds to this thing is a little. It's a little bit of a
1: yeah. Leg- right. It's, it's like, like with with ducks. Does We've it fit? Like, about does ducks. this one fit like
0: a glove? Like how does yeah. it?
1: Right, because like duck duck vaginas and duck penises are this crazy arms race where they're corkscrewed, but sometimes duck vaginas will include like three or four false vaginas that your corkscrewed penis might go into because it doesn't want to be impregnated for some reason, or sometimes the corkscrews go in the opposite direction to try to prevent wow. insemination, which I don't know why evolutionarily, I forgot the reason why they would not want to be impregnated, but, um, and, but you can look up videos of scientists figuring out how to give a duck an erection and filling up a corkscrew shaped glass cylinder to show the shape of it so i don't know what we're doing wrong with these platypuses I've, i'm also curious if these might work it's that, it's work that as
2: mammalian a craftiness
0: <laughs>
1: ah the monotremes are or wait hold on a second they are mammals but they just are the only ones that do non-like no are monotremes mammals
2: I was going that they were going to be like the platypus, which are the the egg-laying mammal kind of thing.
1: Right. So platypuses, I know they lay eggs, but they are mammals yes. or not? Yeah,
0: they are. Yeah, okay. it, it says yeah. here, in fact, so that um, echidnas and platypuses are the only two living monotremes mammals that lay eggs instead of giving birth to live young. Mm-hmm. So they are. Uh, but two-pronged penises are also common in Australian marsupials, including kangaroos, koalas. Uh, bilbies and wombats. I didn't know that marsupials generally... I don't know kangaroos have... Did I... Do we know this? I feel like we should have known this.
1: Not me. I... I I didn't. I should have also. No, Australia's just got the best stuff. By best, I mean weirdest. I only know penis by genus.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There, There is, by the way, just linked to... In the sidebar from this story, there is... This is off topic, but it's another science story that... Plastic waste in the ocean has become so prolific that it's become a waste, it's become a a pathway for invasive species.
2: Wow. Hmm.
0: So, an, as in,
2: like it, plastic, like hiding behind a tide bottle, like a hedge. That kind it's of like. exactly that. Yeah, dum, hitching dum, a ride.
0: So these, yeah, the uh, Professor Bella Galil, who's curator at Steinhardt Museum at Tel Aviv University. Said, transoceanic rafting is a fundamental feature of marine evolutionary biogeography and ecology, often invoked to explain the origins of global p- patterns of species distributions. But while it's relatively rare for a non native species to successfully survive in a new environment, the huge increase in waste being dumped at sea, as well as a ban of fishing gear, enables biofouling, aquatic organisms attaching themselves while they're not wanted. And yeah, so. For example, sea grapes from Australia arrived in the Mediterranean in 1990, which displaced other marine algae, setting up oh. a domino effect that led to a reduction in native gastropods and crustaceans.
2: I really uh, think we are entering a golden age of unintended consequences.
0: <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah. Well, e- even obviously the famously intentionally introducing species has had horrible unintended consequences. where people have tried, Especially in Australia. Where, yeah, where people have tried to... Uh, Engineer the the ecosystem, right? Like the real life version of swallowing the spider to catch the fly.
2: Yeah, you end up with platypuses and shit like that. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> Australia really does have baffling, like you know, is is it baffling or is it just? I'm trying to what I'm trying to work out now is is Australia genuinely full of the weirdest animals or is it just full of Animals that are unique to Australia, and because Australia is its own little ecosystem, it seems weird by our standards. But other animals that we have are equally weird; they're just more prevalent around the world. You know what I mean? Like, is it? Uh, it yeah, uh, yeah. Are, th- I don't, are they well, just? Are they genuinely weirder animals, or are they just rarer? And every animal, ha- all animals, are weird in their own little ways. uh
1: well, I know we. But I think it's we, more we weren't there the as long, that, long as humans. Yeah. Yeah. I think they had even weirder animals, but then humans came so abruptly to Australia compared to Africa, where we evolved alongside animals. At least this is like cribbing from guns, germs and steel. But I guess there were tons of interesting megafauna on Australia. And then within a few centuries of humans showing up, those were all gone because you could just walk up to them and knock them on the head, kill them. Um, So that's an argument for why it'd be less interesting. So I don't know what my stance is.
2: Uh, yeah, and, you know, North America is an example where it, we, it all happened really fast and we don't even know what we wiped out along the way.
1: Right. Although, I mean, but humans were in the Americas, in the Americas uh, longer than, I think, than any humans were on Australia. I think that's certainly true. That
2: true? But, but I think, you know, they weren't working against the environment.
1: Right. Um, so, Matt, this is only about debris from things like, the tsunami rather than, like, the... No. I'm just skimming this to... S-
0: I, th- I think just generally there's so much shit in the ocean now that we have given... It's a global problem, it says. So we've just given animals and other organisms so much more yeah, ability but, to hitch a ride.
2: But think of how many of them just look, end up swirling in that patch that's the size of Texas.
0: Oh, but ima- well, right, imagine but that, the little that, ecosystem that's there now as well. There's, a little, there's a little animal sitcom. yeah.
1: But also, I think everyone thinks, and I've seen, (laughs) (laughs) I think people genuinely think that there is this, like, raft of garbage you can go stand on if you go out to that part of the ocean. I don't think a lot of people get how, even if you were swimming through it, you wouldn't know you're swimming through it. It's just a place where there's a higher concentration of microplastics. Like, you might see something every few dozen feet, but, like, it's, you know what I mean? It's not, like, a barge of... Of, of
2: garbage. No, it's just dense and stuck there.
1: Yeah, even at its peak, I'm looking at this picture in the middle of the article, plastic concentration in the middle of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch reaches level 100 kilograms per square kilometer, which is a pretty huge area over which to spread something that's the weight of me, basically. There's one of me. So you're, spread out so you're over downplaying a this kilometer. problem, really, is what you're doing yeah. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> the specific uh, Pacific garbage patch thing, I just think everybody, and maybe I'm just like not giving people enough, people enough credit, but I, it seems as though, and I think I've seen somebody, uh, a YouTuber, take a boat out and be like, I want to see this patch. There's, there's nothing to see right. when you get there. You will not actually see a thing. It's just we have lots of little things in the ocean. Welcome to Mid Pacific, home of the garbage patch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Uh, There's there's a couple of stories. There is another Australian animal story, but this is more of an ancient animal story that one of our listeners sent in that we could talk about, that Justin Turner sent in a story about Australia's largest dinosaur discovered. Mm. See, they still
1: have dinosaurs there. Five foot eight. (laughs) It's the coolest.
0: (laughs) We just haven't done much looking for dinosaurs yet, so to be honest, it's quite an easy... Uh, I mean, put that there. It's in que- Queensland Museum dis- confirms discovery of Australia's largest dinosaur near Outback, uh, Iromanga. Uh, hmm. I'm sorry, Iromanga is the area okay. uh, in, near, in southwest Queensland. They discovered dinosaur bones. This, this couple, just this c- cattle mustering couple. Is mustering a verb? <laughs> I not so much. Not when it comes to couldn't... cattle,
2: really, but. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Rob, Robin Mackenzie and her husband Stuart were mustering cattle on their property. I don't, wow. I don't know what mustering in, entails, well, but they were doing they, it. Perhaps
2: all the cattle they could muster. <laughs>
0: <Right>? Yeah, <laughs> just uh, they discovered these dinosaur bones in 2006. After 15 years of painstaking excavation, the Iramanga Natural History Museum has officially identified the skeleton as the largest dinosaur ever found in Australia. Ms. McKenzie... wait, wait a second. Ms. McKenzie, Robin McKenzie, is a paleontologist who also runs the museum. Oh, see. okay. This so, seems so, suspect. Is- hang on, what? Has <laughs> she just happened to be mustering cattle? Yeah. I don't buy. Hey,
2: it. Don't she buy knows what it. to look for.
0: <laughs> she's, just, she's just killing two birds with one stone here. Look, we're going to must. If I'm going to muster anywhere, it's going to be in bone hunting ground.
1: This is an inside job. Uh, I'm calling shenanigans on this. So-
0: but that is a huge. That's a huge bone. It's a very, it's a very, it's a very big, big bone. So, I mean, the one. Yeah, Ms. McKenzie says those first pieces of bone offer them no sense of the size of the dinosaur they would eventually unearth. It wouldn't have entered our mind that we were about to deal with an animal that was the largest in Australia and one of the largest in the world. She said, "The dinosaur has been a scientifically named Austre- Australos- Australotitan cooperensis. Mm. Australotitan." They they named it Cooper because they found it near Cooper Creek. It's estimated okay. it to be between 5 and 6.5 meters tall and 25 to 30 meters in length. So that's what you're talking about, sort of 20 feet tall uh, for the metric people and about 90 to 100 feet long, possibly up to 100 feet that's long. It, yeah.
1: It's got to be up there with one of the bigger dinosaurs. If only we had a 10-year-old in this podcast, we would just <laughs> know. know
0: where this ranks.
1: Well, they put it next to a
2: backhoe. There's a graphic where they have it next to a backhoe for scale on this.
1: That's pretty, pretty
0: and, massive.
2: Uh, a 10-year-old would also enjoy that, probably.
0: True. <laughs> there is a picture. Here, here. Yeah, there's a picture of them lifting up this bone as well. It's a big bone. It's a very big bone.
1: Well, that's the model of that's the bone. A model of the bone up. next that's to That's why it looks so pretty. But it's next to the fossil bone. of the bone.
0: So the paleontologists said the new species of giant sauropod is thought to be in the top 15 of the largest dinosaurs in the world entering an elite group of titanosaurs previously only discovered in South America. Queensland Museum vertebrate mm. paleontologist Dr. Scott Hocknull said he was thrilled to finally be able to verify the dinosaur as Australia's largest after more than a decade of research. It's taken this Good work. Yeah. It's taken this long because it's a painstaking piece of work. Oh yeah, I've just got to the backhoe picture. Yeah, that is very. What more could you want? Big, big industrial equipment and a dinosaur. Maybe a train. Maybe a train, or a, yeah. train and a
1: rocket, and a talking train. Yeah. Some puppies that have various public service jobs.
0: <laughs> uh, that. You've got to take the bones out of the ground. This is Dr. Hocknell explaining how painstaking it is. You've got to take the bones out of the ground, you've got to prepare the fossils, and then you've got to study them and compare them against all other species of dinosaurs worldwide. That's a very Australian way well, yeah, of describing that's paleontology. paleontology.
1: Now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did anyone think you didn't have to take yeah. them out of the ground? Yeah. Or prepare or them, or them? compare them. Yeah. <laughs> compare, them to, yeah.
0: compare them to other things that have previously been discovered. <laughs> that's almost the definition of all science, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah in australia it's certainly the largest animal that's ever walked the outback this is huge this is a fantastic beast imagine something the size of a basketball court walking around on land
2: this, ex- this totally could have been wor- uh, uh, an animal working at the slate quarry
0: <laughs> yeah it, it does look like you could slide down it with and really have some fun yes <laughs> <laughs> when the whistle goes off at the end when of work. the right right yeah and by whistle, I mean the bird that has a right. string attached <laughs> to its right. tail. It's a living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They've, by the way, visitors have gone up threefold. Three times as many visitors wow. to the Iremanga Natural History Museum compared to, compared to 2019. And they expect these numbers to only climb when word of Cooper's discovery starts to spread. Well, once this episode
1: comes out, yeah, yeah, it, they're going to be like fighting.
0: I think they're off.
2: just tricking tourists into the mustering.
0: Everyone's getting into the cow mustering industry around here, squeezing out the normal, the regular guy. I mean, after a year of lockdown,
1: people have got a lot of pent up. They haven't been mustering anywhere near as much as they usually would be. So I think there's going to be a big market for mustering. Sort of a muster, muster
2: fever on the horizon.
1: Right. Yeah. Post post post-penny mustering is going to be. Uh, So the
0: big thing. Uh, Ms. McKenzie says discovering I'm a new so, I, dinosaur. I have to stop so, you
2: for a second. Did you just say post-panty? Yeah,
1: I'm trying all to right. get that to take off. Is that going to work? I just it's said it. That's the first time yet. I said it. It's not working for it's not, me yet. Okay. No. Well, it's because you're still, you're, you're still living in a panty it world of feel, It felt so. like something
2: I had to nip in the bud, actually.
1: <laughs> now that we've said it five times, I think it's going to catch on. I think mean, listeners are really going to take to it. It's going to be, and I'll be attached to it because I have a timestamp of when I said it first.
0: Uh. <laughs> so, Ms. McKenzie said discovering a new dinosaur species was just the tip of the iceberg there's do- she said there's dozens of sites there's dozens of dinosaurs potentially out there that will need preparation and then research after, this, after they've been dug up Again, describing the job of being a paleontologist. <laughs> right, right.
2: <laughs> it's like they want us to feel bad for them for being paleontologists. Right. <laughs> it's
0: just, you got to dig it up, then you got to do preparation, then right. you got to do research. It's not all just glamour, you know.
1: <laughs> it's, yeah. It's like a surgeon. You got to come open, fix them, then sew them back right. up again. And you got to wash. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Dr. Hocknell believes there could be even bigger species yet to be discovered. He said, One of the questions I'm always asking is, What ate the plant eaters? We know that Australotitan, or Cooper, was a plant eater. So what was marauding around trying to eat those guys? We don't have any evidence of that just yet. But That's exciting because that means there must be another big story out there. Think of it like a 95 million year old crime scene where you have all the evidence and all the witnesses are dead. There's bones it's of them everywhere cool. spread out, and you're trying to piece together a puzzle when you don't have the picture. See, where was that earlier on? Right. Where was
2: that? I think what they want to be are detectives, not paleontologists, <laughs> right? because that, they make that sound great.
0: <laughs> Although, mm-hmm. you know, being a detective, you've got to go to the crime scene, you've got to gather the evidence, right, then you've got to right. talk to people.
2: Yeah, to lay to... out the the yellow
0: tape everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you got to interview way,
2: witnesses. You have to draw around
1: things <laughs> uh by the way i I feel like this may be a dumb question, but is it impossible for a plant eater to be at the top of a of a
0: food chain uh, just because they're the biggest I, like, yeah i it... I don't think so i'm thinking i I'm thinking for example that the the there are plenty of animals that i mean like wild cows don't get eaten by larger animals generally it's sort of smaller animals that take them to the ground and rip them apart
1: hmm.
0: right what were you about to say
2: i was gonna go with the elephant model instead
0: of the wild cows <laughs> you you went a little bit more extreme <laughs> than me <Yes. laughs> ah. i should i should have gone to the top mm-hmm. i didn't want to overstretch with, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i'm looking up uh, apex herbivore and um yeah, elephants, rhinos, hippos are mostly herbivorous, and they're sort of in the same position. At least uh, right, but hippos are huge f- dicks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, so, do true. hippos not are hippos herbivores?
2: They're hippo They're herbivores with a bloodthirst.
0: That's what I was wondering because <laughs> yes. I know I know that's that mad statistic about how hippos. How many
1: marbles they can?
0: Yeah, exactly. How they're how, how relentlessly hungry. hungry they are, yeah, yeah. but. But they are, they are the, the most dangerous of the large animals aren't yeah. they? So in Africa. Yeah, by, they are, by,
2: like, a big margin, apparently.
0: Right. Like, quite consistently. Like obviously, see the, the most dangerous, and that's the other little bit of trivia, is the mosquito. But I always think that's kind of cheating, because right. you're sort of sure. killing people by stealth. It's more right. poisoning people, rather than, like, face-to-face. That's almost like a, a
2: almost like a disease.
0: Right. But if we're talking actual... Thing with tooth that takes you down, right? That's yeah. The hippos at the top, but then they do. So they'll kill people just for the fun of it, and then just go off and munch on a tree. Is that what hippos do? Did I not know that? I
2: I think that's pretty much what they do. I think they're uh, they're they're easily uh, they're easily triggered and highly violent once they are.
0: So they're kind of like homicidal gardeners. Yeah, they do. (laughs) They eat but they eat grass. They're like serial killers that are always. Tip pottering in the garden for some reason what are they doing out there who's they under actually, the lawn
2: they actually compost people after they kill them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> makes for good kale are there are there uh, vegetarian serial killers there must I'm be I'm sure again things I could Google but I'm not going yeah. to
0: yeah I, I, don't, I don't think I don't think all serial killers are um, into the taste of human flesh I don't think they're all cannibalistic necessarily would you, with with that, you? Would that disqualify you, you from there. vegetarianism <laughs> as well? Like I, I'd say it would. I'd yes. say if you're cannibalism, a cannibalism for sure. Yes. If you're a cannibal and a serial killer, but you otherwise don't eat meat, you don't eat animal non-human animals. I still say that's your, that you don't count as vegetarian. I agree. I no, agree.
1: definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. By the way, we're debating which animals are the uh, scariest, and I'm going to quote naturalist Jack Handy, who says, uh, contrary to what most people say, the most dangerous animal in the world is not the lion or the tiger or even the elephant. It's a shark riding an elephant's back, just trampling and eating everything <laughs> you see. That's science fact.
0: It's a deep thought. Um, gr- just grass, by the way. Just grass from the hippos. Not even That's fish, what- and they're in the river all day. Yeah, and not even, like, really other plants. They mostly eat grass. They're ruminants. Yeah. Oh. They're like
1: murderous cows. Do they also, I'm assuming they also have like the, the, the multifaceted stomachs that, are, uh, that make a rumen a rumen? do oh, do tell. I don't know. I'm <laughs>
0: checking on this right now. Are they cud chewers?
1: Uh, the hippo digestive system.
0: It is the hippo is considered to be a pseudo ruminant ah. because it has a complex three chamber stomach but does not three chew cuds. Okay. Mm. Yeah, curious. Curious. They're so cute. And I'm trying to think whether I've ever actually seen one in person. That's before. how they get. You is, must have yeah, seen Almost every zoo has a hippo. Yeah, any decent zoo must. I must have seen yeah, it. Yeah, a solid and, zoo's got a hippo. Or, or like one yeah. of those parties where they bring animals around.
1: Yeah, right. An Eric Andre birthday party. <laughs> yeah.
0: Just a horrendous petting zoo. <laughs> Just like a wildly inappropriate, every irresponsible zoo, zookeeper.
2: Every zoo has a hippo until the incident. <laughs> right.
0: Right. Yeah, San Diego, San Diego Zoo's got one because there's a picture of it on the Wikipedia page for hippos. Nice. Nah.
2: Pablo oh, Escobar and, had several. That's true. I'm sure that are causing havoc now in somewhere in Central America.
0: By the way, unlike other semi aquatic animals, who, hippos have very little hair, according to Wikipedia. Their skin is two inches thick, which provides it great protection against what is a insult specific. uh and predators by contrast its subcutaneous fat layer is thin i didn't realize that either i would have thought it'd be quite uh, have a quite a thick layer of fat i didn't have a position
2: on it i'll be honest
0: (laughs) 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 the animal's upper parts are purplish gray to blue black while the underparts and areas around the eyes and ears can be brownish pink their skin secretes a natural sunscreen substance which is red colored the secretion is sometimes referred to as blood sweat but is neither blood nor sweat the secretion is initially colorless and turns red-orange within minutes, eventually becoming brown. Two distinct pigments have been identified in the secretions, uh, one red, which is hipposideric acid, and one orange, norhipposideric acid. They are highly acidic. They inhibit the growth of disease-causing bacteria, and their light absorption peaks in the ultraviolet range, creating a sunscreen effect.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
0: But it, it it also doesn't but it doesn't prevent the skin from cracking if it stays out the water too long. So if you're a hippo listening to this show, make sure you don't just think, well, I've got the hipposidoric acid now. I'm fine. You still need to submerge every cell phone just to be yeah. safe.
1: Got to go for a dip, which I just did for the first time in a year and a half, by the way. The pool finally reopened up here in the desert. Uh, Josh, I live up in at Joshua Tree. Ah. So there are and they've emptied the pools for COVID. And finally, today, opening day, I can drive 20 miles and swim some laps. Nice. And f- finally hydrate.
0: How, yeah, how was it? Was, were you? Uh, did you remember how to swim? Ah, uh, barely. My shoulders are killing
1: me. They have no lane lines, so it feels like open water swimming, and uh, it's just chaos there. But theoretically it's lap swimming happening.
2: You'll get your you'll get your straight line back. Yes. You'll get it back. I'll
1: get my lap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was it was eye-opening. You know what else is eye-opening, Matt? Is it the story that listener Michael Vabuena sent in? I think it is that exact one uh, about the fact that pupil size is a marker of intelligence. Is this going to be problematic?
0: This feels like... Yeah, this feels very much like sort of phrenology part two.
1: Right. But uh, uh, I feel like there is this surprising correlation between baseline pupil size and several measures of cognitive ability. Excuse me, I have to draw Um, my shades. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) It's been said that the eyes are the windows to the soul, but new research suggests they may be a window to the brain as well.
0: Very poetic there Uh, in uh, Scientific American by... One of the three authors of this. More like Jason. Poetic I don't know which American. one. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> uh, our pupils respond to more than just the light. They indicate arousal, interest, or mental exhaustion. Pupil dil- dilation is even used by the FBI to detect deception. Now work conducted in our laboratory. Uh, I the, well, it's usually not written in the first person like that. But um, yeah, in Scientific American's lab- laboratory at the Georgia Institute of Technology. Wait, Scientific America baseline- has its own lab? I guess the article says our laboratory. Uh, these guys—they
2: can do stuff like measure pupil size. I, I... There, it's not—it's yeah, not really or... that
0: sophisticated. <laughs> yeah, it's just. <laughs> they doesn't tell if your hair's looking okay that day. They have a ruler in a drawer.
1: <laughs> or I guess it would be just the hour of the three authors who may. But uh, yeah. it's just strange to have first person. Yeah, the... I
0: think I think the yeah. It, it, so it is written by the actual. This <laughs> article in Scientific American is written by the authors who did the study. By the scientists From their perspective.
1: The study. Yeah, okay. Uh Okay. So, you, you are that- there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Baseline pupil size it's done is like, closely related. It's done like oh, a choose-your-own-adventure thing now. That's right. <laughs> Do you pick up the it's ruler? Do you look at the mirror? What are- I'm going to go measure my pupils. See, I don't know how you get... I'm sure
1: we'll get to this, like how you control for ambient light, light changing your size, but... <clears throat> Or just echidnas that get excited. Uh, so baseline pupil size closely related to individual differences in intelligence. The larger the pupils, the higher the intelligence, as measured by tests of reasoning, attention, and memory. In fact, across three studies, they found that the difference in baseline pupil size between people who scored the highest on the cognitive tests and those who scored the lowest was large enough to be detected by the unaided eye. Wow! Very, that's very surprising. Those they first uncovered idiots. right. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's why a BDI negativity. Like, maybe that's why it's part of our. But,
0: but that also feels uh, like that's the wrong way round. Because aren't you know? I feel like psychopaths who would, like they're conniving and smart, uh, and, but also have really little eyes. But maybe that's my right. maybe that's Hollywood lying to me.
2: It might be. Yeah. it might be a really smart actor.
1: <laughs> uh, so they first uncovered this surprising relationship while studying differences in the amount of mental effort people use to complete memory tasks. They used pupil dilations as an indicator of that effort. Um, a technique psychologist, Daniel Kahneman, popularized in the 60s and 70s. And when they discovered a relationship between baseline pupil size and intelligence, they weren't sure if it was real or what it meant. Okay. Also, so they,
2: li- they listened to see if people make the sound.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I was just... Okay, so counter-argument counter here. If you're trying to do some kind of intelligence test and you're struggling and you end up sort of vacantly staring out the window or at the light fitting, and then go back to doing the test, and then they look at your eyes, your pupils are gonna be smaller right, but compared to the person who's just like staring at the page and just I think people staring at the sun
2: it. are disqualified from uh, <laughs> intelligence <laughs> test community.
1: I don't know, it worked out well for Trump. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, but, you know, if you're, if, have... if, you are, if you're just staring at the page and your head is down, then your pupils will be smaller, wouldn't they, on average? I've got to believe there is some control for this, but I don't know. Sorry, they'd of be bigger, they rather. Have... They might probably, yeah, they'd be, they'd be bigger.
1: I mean, the general thing, if you're, if you're not talking about effects that your mental effort has, is, yeah, more light equals smaller pupil. right. Uh, but yeah, they must have controlled for all this. They must have had everyone in a room with without <laughs> know, bright lights to stare Or at they dilate the it
2: like an eye doctor, so everyone's goes to the same.
1: Uh... Oh yeah, but then you wouldn't have control. I mean, I think that's just ruining the whole study if you do that. So
0: l- last time I went to get my eyes tested, they did they did the whole. Dilation I don't think thing. we have
1: enough grasp
2: of what this study was to really <laughs> to no. have that argument. <laughs> I have to. See. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, here
1: let's. Uh, sorry, Matt. You oh, were no, saying?
0: No, I was just saying when when I went to get my eyes tested last, he did the dilation thing and. So um, look properly into my eyes and then and then just gave me these really like these cardboard sunglasses, almost like really, really dark ones, almost like the ones you have to wear for an eclipse. And went, you need to wear these on the way home and I went, am I safe to drive? And he went, yeah, yeah, you're safe to drive. You won't be able to read like stuff up close. But driving is like, you know, you can you'll be fine. But I started driving. And I was like, I am almost completely. This is wildly dangerous. I'm very blind right now. Just because of how dark it was? Well, no, 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 no not the darkness. It was just blurry. It was There's just no like everything focus was
1: going on. It was, yeah. It, oh, your depth of field is reduced by the wideness of the
0: aperture. Well, it, but yeah. it, also, it just, every, it wasn't just depth of field. It was just everything was out of focus. I couldn't see. I could, yeah, I could sort of make out shapes of your eyes
2: at that point. <laughs> yeah,
0: I could, I could, I could make out. You know, I could make out big shapes and stuff, but I was like, i I, I couldn't read. You know, it wasn't just like I couldn't read text that was right in front of my eyes. Like, I couldn't read a road sign, for example. I couldn't read.
1: Well, but I bet there was some place where there was a focal point, and everything just slightly in front of or behind, behind that is out of focus. It really because of seems how... like you're missing the point here. The man was driving <laughs> blind. For yes, I know. <laughs> but you're saying it's not depth of field related. I'm saying it could. It is depth of field related, and it's just most things were not in that tiny plane of focus um, for that wide aperture of your eyes.
0: Maybe, but if even if that is the case, then I, I don't think it was still bad. Yes, he still should. Telling the police officer that just I'm right. sorry, but, but the also, cyclist uh, just wasn't. They in they my correct the 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 focus because my article
1: when they <laughs> uh, So here's how the study worked. They had 500 people aged 18 to 35. They measured their pupil size using an eye tracker, a device that captures the reflection of light off the pupil and cornea using a high-powered camera and computer. They measured participants' pupils at rest while they stared at a blank computer screen for up to four minutes. Okay, there's a good baseline. All the while, the eye tracker was recording and using that tracker, they then calculated each participant's average pupil size. Okay. And to be clear, pupil size refers to the diameter of the black circular aperture in the center of the eye. It could range from around two to eight millimeters. Uh, the pupil is surrounded by the colorful area known as the iris, which is responsible for controlling the size of the pupil, it constricts in response to bright light, as we said. So they kept the laboratory dim for all participants. Okay, so no sun to stare out the window at. Uh, in the next part of the experiment, they completed a series of cognitive tests designed to measure fluid intelligence, the capacity to reason through new problems, working every That's, by capacity. the way, that is not
0: what I thought fluid intelligence would be. No,
1: nor I. I thought it was knowing that you always do uh, a water between every...
0: Yeah. Great before year. grain.
1: Uh, right. Uh, working memory capacity, which is the ability to remember information over a period of time, and attention control, the ability to focus attention amid distractions
0: and interference. Hang on. What are the, the three different tests. Okay. The ca- capacity to reason through new problems, that's fluid intelligence. Working memory. Okay. A bit. And then uh, attention control is clearly the one that I have the least of because I had to repeat that, the thing you just okay. said seconds ago. I, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want to get to the end the
2: <laughs> second time, even. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So as one of the examples of an attention control test, they had to resist glancing toward a bold flickering asterisk on one side of a computer screen and instead rapidly look in the opposite direction to identify a letter. The letter would disappear within moments, so even a brief eye movement toward the flickering asterisk would result in missing it. There is not a chance that I would pass that test. Nah. <laughs> even, even if you know it's what they're doing, uh, you don't think? I don't think so. Huh, interesting. So yeah, humans are primed to react to objects passing through their peripheral vision. It's what once allowed us to spot a predator or prey, but this task required participants to redirect their focus from the flickering asterisk to the letter. They found a larger baseline pupil size was correlated with greater fluid intelligence, attention control, and to a lesser degree, working memory capacity, indicating a fascinating relationship between the brain and the eye. Uh, Interestingly, pupil size also negatively correlated with age. Older people uh, had smaller, more constricted pupils. But once they standardize for age, the relationship between people's size and
0: cognitive ability remains. Well, that that also tallies with the sort of uh, the beady-eyed school teacher. right? Like, this, <laughs> is that a stereotype? Yeah, like a sort of I'm thinking like old sk- English schoolmaster, kind of staring at you with beady eyes and then sending you to uh, to be sexually s- abused you know, some kind of leaders. like physical punishment that's no longer legal. Yes.
1: Not just a stern stare down that involves closing the eyelids and
0: that's making you think of... Ooh, no, I, I, no, I think there's just... I think there's an innate beadiness that is independent of eyelid status. Okay.
2: You don't hear a um, lot of good English schoolmaster stories, I'll tell you that.
0: No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not a lot of really nice dude. No. Uh, so yeah, as far as why this happens, they, um, this article talks about you have to know what's going on with, in the brain... Pupil size is related to activity in the locus coeruleus, a nucleus situated in the upper brainstem with far-reaching neural connections to the rest of the brain. That area contains norepinephrine, which functions as both a neurotransmitter and hormone in the brain and body, and it regulates processes such as perception, attention, learning, and memory. It also helps maintain a healthy organization of brain activity so that distant brain regions can work together to accomplish challenging tasks and goals. And dysfunction of that area and the resulting breakdown of organized brain activity has been related to several conditions, including Alzheimer's and ADHD. Uh, in fact, this organization of activity is so important that the brain devotes most of its energy to maintain it, even when we're not doing anything at all, such as when we stare at a blank computer screen for minutes on end. So the hypothesis, hypothesis is that people with larger pupils at rest have greater regulation of activity by the locus coeruleus, which benefits cognitive performance and resting state brain function.
0: Yeah. Do you... I, I was going to ask whether you, and you clearly do, because you already have quoted one in this episode already, but jokes from, a long, from someone from a long time ago just popping into your head related to stuff. Oh yeah, 30 and plus was, years of them. Uh, right. This, Joe Brand used to have a joke, I don't know if you know her, she's an English comedian, but she, she was a psychiatric nurse before she went into comedy, yeah. and there's some test, I had to just Google it just now to find out what the actual thing was, it was the Beck Depression Inventory, otherwise known as the bdi so she had a bit about being told as a psychiatric nurse by one of her bosses to uh go into room three and give the patient the bdi (laughs) and that stuck with me for 20 years there you go 25 years i like it uh there's a couple of space stories right now that that weren't sent in by listeners but i i found them with my own two hands (laughs) wow did you have to that, dig them
2: that's, up? That's, and i was then about compare to say them that sounds up. harder than being a paleontologist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I had to find them and I had to copy and paste the URL and I had to put them in the in the show notes. So here here's one of them. There we go. There's a big rocket. The first look at the the new SLS rocket that is potentially going to be taking humans to the moon. NASA's NASA's brand new space launch system rocket which is So engineers at Florida's Kennedy Space Center have finished lowering the 65-meter, that's 212-foot-tall core stage in between two smaller uh, booster rockets. It's the first time all key elements of the rocket have been together in a launch configuration. Cool. So it looks massive. And they plan to launch it on its maiden flight later this year. Is that going to be with humans or is that going to be Okay, no, 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 no that's I'm going to sure be. Sure,
1: it's like the same way Apollo did all those like But they
0: don't use dogs anymore. They'll look. use like sort of a toy dog. Sure. Like a, robot yeah, dog. a robot dog. Oh, yeah. yeah. As long it's as, as they as long
2: as they can get their montage of failures.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, that that's something they should do is like a sort of when they show the successful launches for nasa or for other space companies they should have like a blooper reel over the end credits yes. <laughs> <laughs> things exploding and engineers just distraught
1: so ju- oh, i thought they'd be like laughing and going cut cut <laughs> yeah.
0: it's on fire again <laughs> yeah. during this mission known as artemis one the sls will carry orion america's next generation crew vehicle towards the moon but no astronauts will be in brought aboard Engineers want to put both the rocket and the spaceship through their paces before humans are allowed on in 2023. That's pretty soon. Yeah. Weren't we talking about this a couple
1: weeks ago yeah. and, and our idea to, to put a dog on the moon and, and see about the Frisbee situation? And, that's right. Uh, yeah. So, 2023. So yeah, not too far off.
0: The SLS consists of the giant core stage, which houses propellant tanks and four powerful engines flanked by two 54-meter, that's 177-foot, solid uh, R- rocket boosters. And unlike the marsupial penis, <laughs> all four engines
2: will fire at once.
0: They will fire yes. simultaneously. Yeah. Because, I, you know, and if they don't, it would have to be opposite pairings because if you fire left and then right, then you're right. in real trouble. It, it's, that's it's, not going to work. spin time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So these solid rocket boosters provide most of the thrust force that repels the SLS off the ground in the first two minutes of flight. Both the core stage and the SRBs are taller than the Statue of Liberty, Minus it's pedestal. So let's not get carried away here. Well, yeah. And, and have much have less welcoming
2: part. to foreigners.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and much less likely to be weaponized by Ghostbuster opponents. <laughs> over, over Friday and Saturday, teams at the Kennedy Space Center used a heavy lift crane to hoist first hoist the core stage, transfer it from a, horizon, from a horizontal to vertical position, and then lower it into place between the SRBs, that's the solid rocket boosters, on a structure called the Mobile Launcher. And it currently resides, resides inside the huge cuboid vehicle assembly building, VAB. Everything's, everything's got initials here.
2: Yes, it does.
1: NASA's good at that.
0: There is a, there's an didn't. artwork. Uh, <laughs> why did you say why they do um, There's artwork as to what it would look like to have an astronaut on the moon now. NASA, and it yeah. says NASA wants to return to the moon, but this time it wants to stay. <laughs> I don't think that that picture
2: <laughs> indicates any sort of resolute. Uh, staying Yeah,
1: I don't see any kind of, like, uh, hut. Yeah,
2: or, they look uh, like they could skedaddle at any time. So. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. They're just banging on rocks. They are. They don't look that different from cavemen, really, apart from their garb and the fact that it's clean uh, moon environment and the yeah. American flag I, in the background.
2: It should be an astronaut think, in a recliner somewhere. <laughs>
1: <above>. <laughs> you can't get me out of this thing. From my cold, dead spacesuit. <laughs> I think we have the same Amazon Prime solar yard lights on this moon that I, that I do. Yeah, that, that's what tells so, you they're staying. Yeah, set up some outdoor lighting, some patio furniture. They put in the ring doorbell as well. Yeah. I got to get one of those. If in, only to capture... In Joshua crazy. Tree? There's no
2: one there. Well, on.
1: Yeah, I
0: was going to say... Like, <laughs> but I mean, also, I
1: also to, capture, to capture like wildlife. Sure. Oh, okay. I'm assuming it would do that. That'd be kind of interesting. That's the- but also, you know, people come into I don't know, mur- murder me sure. for meth money or something.
2: Yeah. Veget- vegetarian cannibals showing up. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we're doing all callbacks it's, it's, it's,
2: now. That's what the, we're wrapping it up with callback.
0: <laughs> it's, we're nothing if not professional. There is, <laughs> yeah. there is another space story that was a day or two old, and that is that I'm sorry everyone else who bid, but you have been beaten to join Jeff Bezos and his brother in space. Yes. It's, and
1: who is the? It doesn't say. say it
0: it yeah. is an anonymous bidder who paid twenty-eight million dollars to to be on to be in a rocket with with the Bays. Yeah, a with suborbital Bays, rocket.
1: That's it's going to be like an eleven-minute trip, right? Yeah, Well the, they're not they're not spending a long time. They're not orbiting the Earth. No. They're they're going to be weightless for a few minutes. Yeah, but and with reach big a windows. height of six sixty miles, I think big windows. It'll look cool. It'll feel they'll feel weightless for a few minutes but they're just barely tipping over the line yeah. into what is technically that space. kind like sort of sucks. Is it enough time for an epiphany?
2: That's the question.
1: Right? <laughs> you get two minutes to like have some deep and meaningful... Uh...
0: Do, do we think Bezos will come back a changed man in terms of the way he might treat his employees, or do you think it'll just make him even more convinced that he has the ability to dominate the globe?
2: Uh, well, there's a third option that he might come back in a thousand fizzling pieces. <laughs>
1: Oof. There's so a fourth option. He comes back with superpowers.
2: That's true. But, yeah. but you need him
1: when you have $100 billion? That's true. You've already got... You are Lex Luthor yeah. already. You don't need the powers, you've got the money and the brains and the bald head.
0: Okay, so so it does go... It It is a bit better than just going on one of the... A fair bit better than going on sort of the Vomit Comet in terms of experiencing... It's not just sort of experiencing Yeah, you get, to, you, you
2: get to see smaller Earth in the window with black yeah, around
0: it. You would definitely yeah. see that. You will certainly yeah. see that. You actually get... So it plans to go 100 kilometers, that's around just over 60 miles above the Earth's surface, which will allow them to experience microgravity... It will then return to Earth using parachutes. The trip is expected to last around 10 minutes.
1: I mean, for $28 million, I don't know. I don't know. I think I'd hold out for like an actual ISS trip or yeah,
0: orbits around. $28 the million is no. that, is, is a lot for 10 a 10 minute ride. Ten right? minutes,
2: yeah. But you get four days of other shit thrown in. Of tra- uh, four of days training, of training and a, hang a, a, oh, hanging out yeah. with, with the Bees brothers.
0: Oh. yeah and i bet you get like a Training. You, i bet you get like a kind of mission hoodie
2: yeah probably even you probably even get to keep a jumpsuit a
0: satin jacket by the way from a distance that
1: blue origin logo just looks like it has a penis on it it's, i know it's a feather but like in the shot of jeff bezos there it's uh no one else feels
0: that which i'm trying to see which picture it is you are
1: just at the top when you see his jacket that the, the upper left-hand corner oh, of the yeah, jacket does has blue origin and then a phallus a single phallus a non-echidna isn't a model phallus isn't
2: a phallus next to a giant rocket a little redundant
1: <laughs> It's true this is a very good point
0: look what i just drew all right, all right. <laughs> so
1: yeah i don't ah. Uh. How much money? Better question. How much money would you have to have before you would be like, "Well, twenty-eight million doesn't hurt, and it'll be fun." Yeah, I mean, if I was a billionaire, it's probably an easier decision. Yeah, I mean, still, you're giving up a thirtieth of your of your wealth, of your accrued net worth. Is it worth it? Ah, uh, probably. Because yeah, cause I, you because you accumulate probably, that again so quickly. I was about to say
2: I'm probably making that on my money
1: too each year. So. Right, that's a good point. You're making more than three percent. Well, I, yeah, probably, yeah. probably. Okay, you're right. If I have a billion, I'll do this.
0: Yeah, I mean, okay. I'm just so thinking we're like in.
1: we're all in. We're uh, all in. Okay. Once we get our billion, we'll do it. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking Picky about somewhere.
0: sort of the equivalent, the equivalent proportion of my wealth that I've spent on like an iPhone or. Uh,
1: Oh, have you spent 3% of your net worth on an iPhone? Good question. Maybe not 3%. Uh, well,
0: yeah. depends, on, depends on whether I was having a bad year That's or right. a good year. But yeah, you know, you... Well, yeah, I mean,
1: I mean, net worth, not income. I mean, like, all of your assets, like, yeah. Yeah. If, you are, if, you're, if you're worth $30,000 as a person and you buy an iPhone, I guess it's the same thing as... Uh,
0: yeah, and, but also, the, and then also the richer you are, the less each percentage of your wealth counts. Like if you're right. if, oh, right. like if you have if your net worth is is like $10,000, that's all of your assets, then 3% of that may, losing 3% of that makes a big difference to your quality of life. Whereas if you're worth it's a billion to, then losing 3% of your income you wouldn't even notice a change right. in quality of life. There might be
2: life. a little sticker shock, but it's not going to change your life.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's nothing nothing you need that suddenly becomes uh, out of reach. Exactly.
0: You know, you're not going to worry. definitions. You're not going to worry about how you're going to make. You know how you're going to be able to afford your yacht this year. Right. I mean, you might. Bezos's new yacht is a pretty insane. That's, a, that's worth Isn't half that. A, like a half a billion. Half a billion. But again, you know, you can yeah. do that. That. Right. That's why right. that. I know we're getting way off track, but um, <laughs> when people talk about, you know. Uh, oh Jeff Bezos could do all this with his wealth and then someone nearly always comes into the conversation and goes you know he doesn't really have that money that's just like he owns this much of a company that nominally on paper is worth this amount of money but he can't get that amount of money in cash and then you go well he just bought a yacht for half a billion dollars and he also just bought David Geffen's LA mansion for well over a hundred million dollars right. like he so he even if he, even if he can't, <laughs> yeah even if he can't like turn his wealth into a suitcase of hundred dollar bills, he definitely has the ability to convert his wealth into things you can buy into right. material goods and right. services right. like he can he has the ability to do that through some some sort of financial mechanism counter arguments go on uh, um
1: the percentage we were talking about to be willing to do this space flight. If you had a billion and you spent twenty eight million, percentage wise, you're spending so much more than Bezos, who is worth I think one hundred fifty billion. Buying a five hundred million dollar yacht is only uh, like is, is is an order of magnitude less of his percentage of his net worth than what you're like. That's yeah. under a percent,
2: right? But I but you're not all, You're also not factoring in what percent. I mean. When when we asked the question originally, is like how much would you have to have in order to spend that much money to go to space? It's still you still have to factor in the the immenseness of the experience to you. Uh, right. By the way, the guy who like it well, might the, be worth a, a, a percentage of your wealth, even though you're not going to change your lifestyle because of it. To have this thing in your life.
0: Yeah, but by the, that's true. By the way, the two guys who have, um. In fact, most recently, Felix Baumgartner and Alan, Alan Eustace, who both jumped out of balloons like from space to uh, they they both jumped out around the forty kilometer mark, which is not that far off from how high up this rocket goes I mean
1: a hundred kilometers is a lot more than forty kilometers no it didn't
0: say did it say a hundred I, I know how much more yeah oh. yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah hundred kilometers is the definition of. of- space, I guess, by some... Oh, I'm one, sorry, one, I, mis- of the I misread
0: this. Okay, I was misreading the article. Yeah, it goes up to 76 kilometers and then the capsule separates and then it continues up to 106 kilometers just as the capsule. Ah, so the ca- yeah. the rocket the rocket separates, the first stage goes back down to Earth and then the, the capsule David on going kicks in and then they go another. Yeah.
1: Am I floating in my tin can? Now we've got to pay... 10 grand to the uh, David Bowie State. There you go. Way to go. Oh, we've done that. <laughs> Damn, That's 3% of my net worth. Ah, oh, so, Was it worth it? <laughs> <laughs> it was.
0: It felt so good. So have we concluded that we are or aren't going into space? I haven't worked this we're out. We're going. Okay, cool. We're going. We're going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Well, on that note, we, we should wrap things up, but we should also probably make an extra plea for Um, we're going to really need some... We really appreciate everyone who helps support the show on both Patreon and PayPal, but to get ourselves into space, we're really going to need you to up those donations by at least a factor of several hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. To, to millions. Uh,
1: I can't do the math right now, but if, if, it, if it matters to you guys that we go to space, you know what to do. Which I think, it, but, I think
0: it does. I think all of you are quite worried about the fact that we have not yet gone into space, nor have we paid tens of millions of dollars to a, a billionaire. But if half
2: a billion of you each give two dollars... Yeah. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. That's all it needs. And I so, was going to say a billion listeners, but that seemed a little lofty. But I, yeah, know, but half, half a billion really, is yeah. very
0: plausible. Yeah, because yeah. you think about but who just, even speaks English fluently enough to follow our show. Right. Let's get, Let's not get carried away here. <laughs> if
1: we get every American, Canadian, Australian, and I think maybe German, we'd
0: have half a billion. Right. And there's probably some British and Irish listeners in there as well who could yeah, maybe sure, provide they're, things they're, they're like notoriously
2: the flight. tight with their money.
0: Yeah, but, you know, if they, if they ship in a few few pennies here and there that would probably provide the flight to the space center which i don't know whether or not that's included right a lot of people forget to factor in those things. <laughs> yeah, when you're even, like you got like oh fuck all right i've, I've paid my 23 billion 23 million for my flight 28 right. million but but what about my per diem yeah i've got to get my my southwest flight to kennedy space center to florida now you've got to stay in the hotel overnight. Do they right. do they do they, do they <laughs> feed you the day on the day of the launch or well, is there's that a br-
2: there's a breakfast buffet at the hotel? So if you get up early enough,
0: right, and if you load up on the on the breakfast, you can probably like right. stow away a few extra muffins. You might make it through the eleven minute flight. <laughs>
1: It really you don't have to do any training for 11 minutes it's a roller coaster it is a roller coaster. it really is you're not it's... even controlling the rocket you're just sitting there it don't get it... out of your chair
2: they say that for three <laughs> days do not get out of your chair any you questions think... ah, ah, ah. no do not get out of your chair
1: <laughs> but what if uh ah.
2: what did i say all Rule right one. Bef- okay.
0: before you ask ask your question is it whether you can get out your chair
2: yes it was <laughs>
0: okay okay <laughs> Do you think they have a camera rigged up to take a photo at that moment that you first shoot up? Yeah, but they charge you an extra 12 bucks for it. Guess,
1: right? When <laughs> right, you come down. Yeah. <laughs> and they also. It's just got a shitty vignette of like the Blue Origin logo around
0: it. <laughs> right. and, and they know, they, they're wise now to make sure you don't try and sneakily take an iPhone photo of the screen. Right. Yeah
2: or flash your tits during the flight.
0: know. <laughs> one person what person flashes their tits, they don't even put the picture up. Like you don't even have the option. Yeah. It's... And you might not even be, they might not be part of your group.
1: That's that right. one person. That's, that's everybody the unfair
0: pays
2: part. for your tits. Great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, now I have no record of this 28 million that I spent. That's right. Yeah. Cuz you couldn't control yourself for, for 11 minutes. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, Josh, we we should wrap this up. But where uh, can our listeners find you and everything you do?
2: Uh, well, you can find my podcast with Andy Kindler called Thought Spiral. You should uh, definitely do that. Definitely do that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at at J Elvis Weinstein. You can watch uh, one of you can watch my documentaries at Amazon. Uh, you got to pay for Michael Debar. Who do you want me to be? Uh, but I need you to kill about stand up and the scene in Asia is. Uh, on Amazon Prime.
0: I didn't even know about that. That sounds great. Yes. When did sorry, you make that one? I made that one, I think
2: it came out in 2017. And it's uh, Tom Segura, Pete Lee, and Chad Daniels uh, in Hong Kong, Singapore, and Macau, and then all the scenes that are that were building up there.
0: Cool. Those are also three very, very funny people. Yeah. I Need You to Kill, it's called. Fantastic. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well and, and to your podcast. And as always, you can find links to all the stories we cover in the show notes. And also, we'll put a link up again. I mentioned this in the pre-roll. Uh, please come along to my shows in Colorado, Fort Collins and Boulder, at the, the last weekend of June, the last weekend of the month. That's June 25th, 6th, and 7th in Fort Collins and Boulder. I would And tell people, anyone who lives anywhere near there, send them my way. And- uh, yeah, th- if you go to that show, I bet it's going to be a post-panty highlight. Oh. There's no oh, such think, thing. I think there's you're no really going
2: to...
1: Yeah, I think it's going to make your post panty a lot better. A lot better.
2: Oh. oh. Uh, nip it in the bud. <laughs> Shut it
1: it's down. It's going to catch on. It's going to catch it down. on on some, some corner of TikTok. Some kid's going to love it, uh, and it's going to...
0: <laughs> just wait just wait mark my words post it. you can find us as always probablyscience.com is the website at probably science on twitter individually at AndyT Wood, and at Matt probably science at gmail.com is the email address for any questions comments clarifications stories you would like us to cover uh, Josh J. Elvis Weinstein thank you so much for joining us thanks for having yeah. me it was really fun and listeners see you next time see ya